Hi, this is Amanda Dolan, and welcome to the Mental Society. Today, I am joined by Joshua Shea. Joshua is a pornography addiction expert, certified betrayal trauma coach, therapeutic disclosure specialist, and author. Joshua focuses on the trauma partners feel when learning their loved one has an issue with pornography and promotes the idea that porn addiction spans all demographics, and those with a problem should seek help before it's too late. So Joshua, I'm so excited you're here. I think that this is a really important conversation to have. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Amanda. Um, So let's just start at the beginning. What is porn addiction? Well, um, it's a lot like any other addiction. Um, And I believe, you know, addiction is addiction is addiction with just some slight variations. Um, In this case, um, the user has found that through the use of pornography, including self-pleasuring, uh, that over time, they get the chemicals that other addictions bring, the the dopamine, the oxytocin, the serotonin, endorphins. Uh, they can create a, a sense of being high, a sense of escape. The reason, you know, people become addicts, um, right. what they're looking for in the beginning, at least with the addiction. And uh, it just so happens to be that Usually people discover this in their early to mid-teens when they discover pornography for the first time, and it just speaks to them as it did when I was an addict, Um, and it becomes your kind of panacea for life. If something's not going right, you know you have porn there, and that will always make you feel better. But then there's that question, does it always make you feel better or does it make you feel better in the moment? And then there's guilt and shame. Well, it, it In the beginning, it makes you feel better. And then you start to learn you're supposed to feel guilt and shame with pornography because of our society. And then right. it gets to the point where suddenly you recognize that you are an addict. You aren't planning that. And you try to quit and you can't. And you realize I need these chemicals going to me. I mean, that's the way that I was. I was a porn addict for 24 years. And in those last several years, I can tell you it had nothing to do with what was on the screen. I didn't care who was naked, man, woman, black, white, Asian. It didn't matter. I used pornography to get to these chemicals, which by this point, I just felt like I needed to stay alive. There was no high. There was no feeling good. It was maintenance. I had to use every day because I just needed to maintain how I was doing. If I didn't have it, I just had the voices in my head screaming at me to go use this stuff, to go get those chemicals, to go feel better. And uh, I was, I basically believed that uh, I would die if I didn't get them. That's what the mind and the body tells you. Is this, you know, somewhere like I've always heard with, you know, heroin or something like that, that you're always chasing the high of that first time? I was was always, uh, I was an alcoholic as well. And I can tell you that my first time using pornography when I was 12 years old and my first time using alcohol or first time getting drunk off alcohol when I was 14 years old, they served the same masters. When people tell me, oh, there's no such thing as porn addiction because this group doesn't believe it yet, it's like, I I was there and I know exactly what it did for me and I know what it's done for all of the people I met in recovery and all of the clients that I deal with now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I know what it does for them because I was there. It is absolutely an addictive substance like any other because it causes changes in your brain. It causes changes to the chemistry. It causes uh, the the disease of addiction. And I think all of us want to feel good, right? Like we all want the like that dopamine hit or the serotonin or, yeah. and some people get that by exercising, mm-hmm. right? And you can over-exercise, yeah. right? Like there's, or you get it from food, right? I mean, like there's all these different places to get that. Yeah, there are um, organic healthy ways to get those same chemicals. But when you get in this habit of this is where I go to feel good, it's easy to stay in that 
Yeah. Like pattern. Because it works. It works better than anything else. Yeah, for you. Right. <laughs> right. Right. But like where alcohol would work for someone else or maybe right. you know. Exactly. It's like I said, addiction is addiction is addiction. Each addiction has its own little side effects. If you're a gambling addict, you're probably gonna lose the house before somebody who is a video right. game addict. Or, you know, if you're a heroin addict, you have a much better chance of dying than if you're uh, a porn addict. You know, everything has its own unique uh, side effects to it. But addicts are just trying to chase a decent feeling. They're just trying to chase that first high. People seem to believe we're trying to get higher and higher. And that's not the case. We're just trying to get that first high. Um, in my case with pornography... Most pornography addicts uh, have been the victim of some kind of childhood abuse. Uh, very often that is sexual abuse. And that's what happened to me when I was very young at the hands of a babysitter and her family um, that I was with for several years. Um, the There were some horrific things that happened, but I can briefly tell you that at one point when I was, I think, seven years old, um, the 20 year old daughter let me feel her breasts. And that was the most sexually charged, exciting moment of my life. Right. And I think that's what I've been, that's what the pornography addiction was partly about, um, was chasing that high that that seven year old boy felt. I have never had a sexual experience and I've probably romanticized it, but I have never had a sexual experience that measures up anywhere as close to the feeling I had for those few seconds that she let me touch her breasts when I was a kid. And it's, you know, 40 years ish later, right? Mm -hmm. You still have this memory of. Well, and honestly, until I got into recovery, I didn't see it as sexual assault. I didn't see it as a bad thing. You know, it's it's like when you hear that the the 21 year old gym teacher has sex with the 13 year old student. Oh, and it's like, especially if it's a female yes, teacher. Female gym oh my teacher. Gosh. What what a lucky oh, guy. Lucky, right? Yeah. No, like how terrible that yes. this woman took advantage of a child. Yes, and that's what happened right. to me, but I did not have it positioned like that in my head until I got into recovery and had to have several people tell me, no, this is an adult who was taking advantage of you. Right. Even if it felt great, it was an adult taking advantage of you. So um, yeah, it, it, I, I went 30 years believing that was okay because it felt so good. And I want to kind of backtrack because you talked about like the, you know, a gambling addict might lose their house, you know, the, what happens with porn addicts, like relationships, loss well, of time at work? What are most porn addicts uh, do hide their use, especially from close family members. So the number one big fallout of it is when a partner has laid down the law and says, no, you cannot use pornography. There will be no pornography in our house. And then three, five, 10 years later, finds out that oh my goodness, they are using pornography. They are satisfying themselves to pornography. Whether they're an addict or not, um, they are using pornography and that sends uh, the, the partner into a tailspin. That's the betrayal trauma that happens. That's the biggest problem that can happen to an individual um, or, or to a, a family unit. But individually, I mean, you can have things like for males, porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Um, you can have things like, you know, isolation from friends, uh, you depression, mental health issues. Um, and then just what pornography does to society itself. Like yeah. we now have a generation of kids who are jumping on the internet at 10 years old and are seeing much more hardcore material than, you know, you yes. or I could see by seeing a Playboy in 1988. Right. And and I think, you know, you and I had a brief discussion of this. But one of the things that I've experienced even, you know, with men I've dated, with talking to friends is there's like a level of body dysmorphia that comes from 
you know, I see that like this person in porn looks this way and their penis is whatever this size. And so therefore that must be what all men look like or for women, you know, these big fake breasts and tiny waists and hairless or whatever. And that's not, that's not what people look like. No. And one of the things that's happening and it's been happening now for uh, 10, 15 years. Um, and I only learned about it a few years ago. I went and gave a presentation at a college uh, here in Maine to a woman's sexuality group at, at a health center. And I did my whole song and dance and got to the Q&A. And like I said, this was late 2019. One of the uh, young ladies said, have you heard how we don't like having sex with virgin men? And I said, no, that's very curious. Can you tell me about that? And all of the women's faces lit up like, oh, yeah, I know that. I know that. And so they explained to me, and I've had explained to me by many females since this, is that so many of these boys grow up watching pornography, thousands and thousands of hours. If you watch 10 hours of pornography a week, which a lot of these kids do for five, six, seven years, how many hundreds or thousands of hours is that? That is where they're getting all of their sexual cues now. And if you, you know, you and I, who have been in, you know, quote unquote, normal sexual uh, relationships, we know that the sex that you see in pornography is not real. That's not how real people do it. But if you're a 12 year old boy or girl, you look at this almost like it's a documentary. You look at it almost like it's a reality show. So when you right. get up to the college level, a an 18 or 19 year old young woman finally decides that she will have some uh, a sexual experience with, with a guy and, and it turns out he's a virgin, but he's got 2,000 hours of pornography in his head. So what does he do? He acts like the men in the pornography. He gets very aggressive all of a sudden. He will throw the woman down on the bed. He will start calling her names. He will start to bend her like a pretzel. And none of that is expected to be done the other way. And this doesn't even talk about how all of these movies or all of these scenes end, usually on the woman's face, which, again, is not something that happens very often in real life. Right. So these young ladies, the moment a guy starts acting like a stereotypical porn addict, they're turned off immediately and they don't want to teach the guy how he has to behave. Right. So a lot of a lot of. uh College females, um, that age group, are not um, looking to have intercourse with virgin men or very inexperienced men of that age. And I think that's part of what's made that whole incel culture rise, is that women mm -hmm. don't want to have sex with these guys who have been programmed by pornography. Yeah, it's... You say that, and it was not that long ago. And, and I'm in my 40s, and this friend was in is in her 40s. We're talking about like why do men think that like spitting in a woman's mouth is, or on a woman is sexy? Like why would like why? And I don't have a good answer for that. Well, you know what? In all honesty, I think that there is a population of men who hate women and like to degrade them. And I think that's part of it. They get a thrill from the power, from the control of doing something that you wouldn't do in normal society, in degrading a woman that way. You look at these genres of pornography, there are quite a few degrading ones towards the women. Oh, I, yes. I mean, I'm, and I think, you know, even right there's like rape fantasies and, you know, taking advantage of a teacher or your yep. stepsister or, and I know that like, again, those aren't real. Like there's not a camera in your classroom where your teacher is seducing yes. you. Yes. Your, your stepsister will not get caught in the clothes dryer nearly as much as porn indicates. Right. Or, or yes. I just, like I'm thinking of the few things that I've seen and it's like that, that's not real. 
Yeah, like, you want to talk to a you want to talk to a disappointed person. Talk to Palmer, a pizza a pizza oh. delivery guy after his first <laughs> night, and it turns out it's not beautiful naked women answering the door every time. Right. Although, I mean, what was it? Can't buy me love. Like that movie. Was Isn't that it? was with uh, oh, Patrick Dempsey or Patrick Dempsey was in that one? Yes. Yeah. Um. See, with that, I mean, that's not even porn, and that gave yeah <laughs> pizza delivery guys that idea but yeah or your plumber that comes over and like that's not a yes. or the i like here let me pay with sex right that's right, not exactly. that's not real life like you know right. people like plumbers pizza delivery guys like you have to put food on the table and you can't right. do that with sex exactly. um so like you know we talked about like, you know, body image, what sex is, but, and, and a piece of what happens with relationships. Um, and you work around betrayal. Mm -hmm. And so I know that, I know that there are couples that use porn in their sex lives and in a healthy way, probably like from, you know, and I don't know if. Well, in, in, in a not unhealthy way, there's nothing. I've, okay. I've read probably 200, 200 uh, reports and, and studies about pornography. I've never read one that reaches the conclusion it's healthy. The only okay. uh, the only thing I've read is it doesn't affect some people. So, so then I guess my question is: Do you? How do people have those conversations about the use of porn and what that looks like in their relationship? Is it acceptable or not? Because I think that that's an important conversation to have. And it should happen very early on. Um, so you're you're on the same page. Um, you know, my wife had a bit, my wife did not have a problem with pornography. Um, she was a, you know, boys will be boys kind of thing. They watch it once in a while. I, I'm pretty sure that she even watched it once in a while. She had no idea the extent to which I watched it or why I watched it. I was always, you know, if you can get through living with my mom for 10 years and hide it from her successfully the entire time, you can hide it from anybody. And it was not difficult to hide it from my wife for the first 10 years of our marriage um, because I usually only I only used if nobody was at home or I used at one or two in the morning when everybody was asleep. Um, it wasn't that hard to hide it. When it came out that I was an addict, I think that my wife was able to look back and see a few more red flags. But you have to remember that I was also an alcoholic at the same time, and it's not easy to hide alcoholism nearly as right. much as it is to hide porn addiction. If you're not looking for porn addiction, you won't see it. But the symptoms of alcoholism... Mm -hmm are much more obvious. You know, you're stumbling, right. you're slurring. It, it, it's clear. It's not clear when you're a porn addict. And, you know, I think another piece of that is alcohol costs money, right? Like like the, you can see money coming in and out, especially yeah. but a lot of porn is free and easily accessible. I always tell people if they are paying for pornography, um, they are doing it wrong. Because there is so much free pornography in this world. I saw a statistic recently that if you look at the uh, big porn website that uh, you mentioned when we had our conversation earlier, if you watched every piece of material they had on that site once, going backward, you would get to right at the beginning of the Civil War. That's how wow. much porn this one website has so yeah when people tell me that they spend a hundred dollars two hundred dollars a month on porn that shows me that there's usually some kind of problem some kind of obsession because there is truly no reason to spend money on porn with how much is out there and how much is free and a lot of the stuff that people pay for with a little digging you can find for free online and like you say that too. And I, I mean, I don't have any statistics and I don't know if you do, but I imagine that there are days worth of porn. And by that, I mean like the total number of hours released every day. Like, 
there Added. are, there are uh, weeks worth of pornography released every day. Um, 24 hours, 24 hours a day, probably, you know, I, 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 I would bet that three weeks worth of pornography gets released every day when you consider it on every level. Probably now that OnlyFans is a big thing, it's probably even more. I don't know how you'd even measure it now. Um, but that's also mm -hmm. part of it because of the addiction side of things, because of the way the mind works with pornography. Most people, whether they're addicts or casual users, don't use the same pornography twice. It doesn't create the same dopamine rush when you see it a second or third time whether you're a healthy person or whether you're an addict. So there's demand in this world for pornography to continually be made um, because people are always looking for the next new thing. And like you mentioned, you know, like OnlyFans and that sort of thing. Is that like, you know, I don't know a lot about it, but I, I believe that you can pay extra to get, you know, an individual picture or video yep. or message. So does that also impact that? Like as a, well, I'm going to spend more money because if I give this person more money, I get personal attention. Yes, absolutely. That's when uh, I, I've uh, interviewed many uh, people who use OnlyFans for the third book I wrote. And they said that the money is not necessarily in the nudity or the sex. The money is in the messaging. The money is in the boyfriend or girlfriend experience when, you know, the person will pay you $50 a day for you to text them 10, 12 times in a day. Just like, hey, honey, how's it going? So this guy or gal who's the one paying the money can feel like somebody cares about them that day. It's and not even really about the sex. It's about the the intimacy connection oh and okay yeah, yeah it's about the it's about the the non-sexual intimacy that you you can find because you go to a typical porn website you can get all the sexual intimacy you want you're not going to get emotional intimacy unless you start going one-on-one -on -one and communicating with a person and that's what a lot of these people pay for when they use OnlyFans or mm -hmm. when they go to uh cam sites where cam models will will strip for money and they take those cam models into private rooms and talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. And that can be $100 an hour, easy. And some, some guys and some gals who pay that money aren't even looking for the sex. They're looking for the connection. And I'm over here like, if you're paying $100 an hour, why aren't you going to therapy to work, talk to someone to work through your problems? And, but, you know, and, and I hate to say this, why don't you just get an escort or a prostitute if you're willing to spend that much money? It's real life, at least. And we I mean, and I'm not urging people to do that, <laughs> but it just surprises it just surprises me that there are so many people who would rather pay for pixels and somebody with a <laughs> fake name way off, you know, who knows where when you can find the real stuff. And you you know, you briefly mentioned incel. And so for those of the like listening, that's um, right. Involuntarily celibate. Is that correct? Yes. So yes. primarily men who would like to be having sex with women or men. I mean, I don't, but they, that are right. not. Um, Usually there's something socially a little bit askew with them that they don't, uh, they don't quite integrate with dating culture or relationship culture very well. And, and like you said, the, you know, pornography gives them a false sense of what sex. Control. It gives them a false is. sense of control and power because if you think, and this is also true for addicts, if you think about it, nobody on that screen is going to say, hey, you're late to work or you're late to school or you didn't take the trash out. Nobody on that screen is ever going to say, no, no, not tonight. I have a headache. And Aside from the fact that they'll do whatever you want, if you want to watch two white people go at it, fine. You want to watch, you want to turn them into black people or Asian people, hit a button. It's out there. You want to, well, let's get rid of that guy. Let's make it two girls. Okay, boom, button. There you go. You can, if it's been made, and Lord knows that just about every kind of porn's been made, mm -hmm. if it's been made, you can find it out there. You can call it up. 
when you are watching porn with as much that is at your disposal out there, you're almost like the, the sexual master of the universe. And that's why a lot of a lot of people who feel powerless use pornography because it gives them a false sense of control and a false sense of power yeah. when they're sitting in front of that keyboard. Because you get to decide exactly what you're going to yeah, look absolutely. at. Absolutely. And in some ways, too, you have control over your body in ways yeah. that, you know, it's. And I can, I can tell you that when my company was imploding, when my family life was imploding right towards the end of my two addictions, I would use pornography late at night. And I absolutely did it to create a false sense of control and a false sense of power because the rest of my life was falling apart. But. I could always count on that to be there. I could always count on that to make me feel better. That's why it stuck with me for 24 years. And I want to go back to this, you know, the the relationship, and that would be in quotation marks of, you know, someone with, you know, someone on OnlyFans or Cam, you know, websites. I, And then you're developing a relationship with this person and you're talking to them but that's again not reality. No, no, um, they're providing you with a service, and if you didn't provide them with money, they would have nothing to do with you. And relationships are give and take, right? Like with my with my partner, you know, he there are things that he gives me, and I give him, whether that's attention or, you know, taking someone out or taking the trash out, whatever it is, right? There's a give and take. But in these kinds of situations, it is, I'm giving you money and that's all I'm like, and all you're giving me is attention because I'm giving you money, not because I care about you, right? not because, I mean, heck, like, I may not even really know who you are, right? Like, don't really know what And I'm probably doing this with 12 guys today at the same time I'm doing it with you. And if you're making $50 a guy that you're doing this with every day, you know, and even if it's 10, that's $500 a day. Yeah. And if, you know, if you're just doing it five days a week, that's $2,500 a week. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you know, see how you can see how 120,000 a year. You can see how the people who do that, many of them get to six figures every year. And if you're talking about someone that, you know, it's, well, they only, send 10, 15 texts to each of these people. I mean, heck, it could even be like a cut and paste. Like, this is what I'm going to text today. Yeah. Or this is the, you know, series. This is the the kind of way that it, it goes. Um, so it's, it really is impersonal. Absolutely. And the, the thing is, these, you know, from the people I interviewed, both men and women, they're like, you know, I only have to spend 10 minutes a day making content. Make take some pictures, make a little video, whatever, get it out there. The rest of the day, I'm just tending to these people who are sending me messages and sending me money, wanting to deal with me. You know, mm-hmm. they're spending most of their time behind a keyboard playing boyfriend or girlfriend. They're not spending most of their time making pornography. They're dealing with these very lonely, lonely people. And I don't want to necessarily and- say exploiting them. But they're, you know, they're dealing with these lonely people and giving them something that they think is worth the money, I guess. And I mean, I would imagine that in theory, you could do an entire week or month's worth of content in a day or two. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like of what's being posted. And then you can take your phone or your computer and you can go to Thailand or Australia or, you know, wherever thousands of miles away from home and yep. appear like you are yep, right there doing everything. Yep. Absolutely. Um, that's, I mean, it's, I guess I didn't realize, like think of it that way as like, and you want to hear something scary was that before the pandemic, January 1st, 2020, there was roughly 300,000 content creators on OnlyFans. Two years later, January 1st, 2022, the CEO mentioned in a speech that they had over 2 million people creating content. 
So in just a space of two years, this one website welcomed 1.7 million people to start making pornography. That's one website. There was a bunch of copycat websites that started after mm -hmm. OnlyFans. And then you've got all of these cam websites that are out there that have brought quote unquote yes. regu regular people into the world of making pornography themselves. That is a lot of, that's a, a lot. And, you know, that's a lot of money. Like I'm just thinking okay. about, you know, and I know that there, I know that there are rates from not very much to, you know, hundreds of dollars, depending on who and what. And I can't remember, there was an actress, I believe, that's just sold topless pictures for 24 hours and made a ridiculous amount yeah. of money. Um, yeah, well, uh, Bella Thorne, I think that's who it was. And uh, yeah, and you've, but you've got some of these music stars now. You've got athletes, you've got these, uh, I don't want to say mainstream actresses, but actresses who are your B-level actresses who can make far more money doing that than they can doing their work. There was a woman who was a female wrestler um, from the WWE who was doing that, and they told her to stop, and she said, no way, I make far more money selling pictures of just her butt than she ever did working in a wrestling ring. So she quit the yes. she quit the wrestling just to keep publishing photos of her butt because she was making over a million dollars every few months doing it. And that is just wild to me that selling pictures of your butt can make you more money than being at you know a movie star on your know, yeah. actress or you know and I've seen as well. Um, a couple of times like moms, you know, that are like, oh, I want to be a stay-at-home mom, so yep. I'll do this. And and then I kind of wonder, like, as a mom myself, that's out there forever now. And do I want my kids to... But you know what? We were saying that 20 years ago when the Girls Gone Wild stuff was all over the place right. and on TV. And... I think that's a I think that's a great scare tactic, but we were producing one one hundredth the amount of pornography back then. With all of these people on OnlyFans, with all of these people on the cam sites, and just with the fact that the culture among younger generations is that it's okay to send nude pictures back and forth. I don't right. know that 20 to 25 years from now it's going to be that big a deal. If a, you have a nude picture out there, because there are going to be just so, so many. many of them. What I worry about is the mental health of these people, because we don't know right. what the long term effects are. The thing that kind of surprised me the most when I was doing the research for that book was that I interviewed uh, a bunch of people who were just starting with OnlyFans. Um, about why they wanted to do it. You know, they were mm -hmm. waitresses or retail people who needed to pay their rent. So they went mm -hmm. to OnlyFans. And uh, then I interviewed them about four months later when I was finishing up my research. And what scared me that there was a few, especially among the younger ladies, who would say things like, you know, I came here to do the money and the money's great, but I can't get a date in real life. And I've got guys offering to fly me all over the world you know nobody in or another girl said that nobody in my real life ever tells me i'm pretty and now i have men from everywhere telling me i'm pretty and wow. you know nobody will even look at me in real life and here on OnlyFans, men will spend ten dollars just to see my butt in in a thong and what i hear from that is that they are chasing basically that attention. same high they're chasing the dopamine high. And what I wonder is, are there going to be people who are creating pornography for OnlyFans 20 years from now when they're, when they're our age? Are there going to be people making porn at 45, not for the money, but because they're just still trying to get that fix of attention, that, that high of the dopamine, that high of the oxytocin that feels good mm -hmm. when, when somebody is paying attention to you. And like I said, we don't know what the long-term effect of this is 
mentally. We're just learning the long-term effects of uh, high-speed internet. This, this, this do-it-yourself porn world's only been around a few years. And I truly believe that the flip side of the coin of porn addiction from the consumer's side the other side of the coin may just be porn addiction from the producer's side because we now have millions of people doing it and we're going to find out what the fallout is within the next decade or so. Well, and I, you know, I know that I've heard stories and, and I think that even in my kids' schools, you know, somebody sends a nude or a partial nude and then it gets around the school and especially if it's a girl like, oh, yep. she's a slut, she's a, you know, all of those things. And, you know, I've even heard from other people, well, make sure that there's, you know, your head's not in it and there's no identifying whatever when you send it so no one can, you know, prove it's you. But even like in that, you know, we're looking at teenagers and I mean, heck younger, like, you know, even younger than that, to be honest, who are sending these pictures of themselves. And one, I think that children don't realize that when they send that, they are then in possession, in essence, of child pornography, and they're committing a felony. They I understand that child pornography, production, and then distribution. And the thing is, um, and you know, it's 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 not funny. I guess ironic is the word. The vast majority of child pornography is created by children, and then it's out there, though. Yeah. And, and the way, you know, if it was a Polaroid, like, you know, back in our day, that sounds like I'm so old because, you know, you couldn't, you, well, I don't, at least I remember thinking like you couldn't get those kinds of pictures developed like at Target, right? Or whatever. You couldn't have, couldn't bring naked stuff to the photo mat. I don't know how accurate that is. I don't either. Never, never tried. I never tried. So I don't know. But, um, but like a Polaroid, like then there was one copy of it, mm-hmm. right? And even if it was on film, you had to have that negative almost to recreate it. Right. But now, I mean, in theory, I could take a screenshot of this screen that I'm looking at right now with our faces on it. And it could be in a million people's phones in five minutes. Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, a billion people's phone in five minutes if you had I, the right. I put up a TikTok video yesterday that over 500,000 people have already watched. There's no other method to do this. There wasn't this method when we were young. When you and I were in high school, if there was a Polaroid of like the sexy cheerleader and the buff football player from the beach and she's in her little bikini and he's in his short shorts, that thing would have got passed around like it was a golden ticket from Willy Wonka that everybody wanted to see. And now these days, look at something like Instagram. Every 16 and 17 year old kid is basically expected to have half naked pictures available for the world to see. And again, that's not like real. Like I think, you know, and, and the way that we can edit and, you know, there's a, a couple Instagram, you know, creators that I followed that specifically talk about how easy it is to change the way your body looks, even just yeah. in the way you pose the oh, camera yeah. angle without any actual editing. Oh, yeah. This, this, um, this double chin disappears in a lot of my photos because I know where to put the phone. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, and same, you know, there's, there are angles and, and there's, you know, ways to, and they're usually really uncomfortable, which is why nobody looks like that in real life. Right. Right. Um, but you know, another thing I, and this is something as a woman I've experienced and, um, is the receipt of dick pics, like this kind of belief that one, it's acceptable and two, that women want it. And that, um, because men out there, no offense, penises really aren't very, like, attractive. Like, most women are not interested in that. Um, And I feel, and I would be curious your take, I feel like an unsolicited dick pic, as many of them are, 
is a it's a form of control and like power. It's like I'm going to force you to look at this. Well, I was going to say if it's if it's not requested, it's a form of sexual assault. And there are laws now in place in a lot of places that an unsolicited picture it is a crime. Yeah, as it should and be. Because it's, yeah, it's it's not wanted. It's, um, and and again, it's, but it's this expectation, right? That like, well, if porn is so accessible, that everybody must want. Mm -hmm this or maybe like oh i'm gonna show you that i'm just as sexy or have just as much to offer as this porn guy that can and if if i'm cool with nudity and i'm cool with this you should be too which i think a lot of guys send dick pics so they can get naked pics back oh I, that makes a lot of sense i think especially because men are much more visual in right. general than women right like women need that attention like you know verbal attention like told you're pretty or get the random text message men are they want to see and i think men don't have uh, are not as sensitive on the whole how their bodies look compared to females you know, this is why guys take right. five minutes to get ready to go somewhere and women take 45 minutes. They care about their appearance. Most guys don't care nearly as much as a woman about their appearance. Oh, you want a picture of my dick? Boom. There you go. Here you go. Can I see something of yours now? Because it just doesn't have the same value to right. a guy that it does to a, a typical woman. And, you know, like, I know that there are lots of women that get lots of these on the regular and i have a friend who she collects them like when she gets them and she sends the last one she got to the next you know like it's a so like she gets one and the one that she got before she's like oh but this one was better and i have another acquaintance that she'll draw pictures on them and she'll dress them up you know like she'll go oh, in her that's cute like little edit, paper like, dolls yeah. yes um <laughs> because like they're they really Unless someone asks for it, they don't they don't want it. And I know that we're kind of talking in generalities that there I'm sure there are women that want them. And I'm sure there are men that don't want an right. unsolicited naked picture yeah, no, of someone. No, we 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 are talking in generalities. Um, but you know, so I need to wrap this all up. You know, we've talked oh wait, actually I want to go back to therapeutic disclosure and what that is and what yeah. that that looks like because i think that that's something that is really important when we're talking about betrayal and in relationships so what is that when it's done correctly um when it's done well when both people uh the the betrayer and the betrayed get on the same page it's the process by which several things occur. A you know the uh, betrayed puts it out on puts it all out on the line and lets the lets the betrayer know what the impact of their actions were. The betrayed is given the opportunity to ask any question of the betrayer that they want. Um, and the betrayer is supposed to answer them honestly. It also gives the opportunity for the betrayer to learn how deep things went and to write a apology letter and read that. And there are a few one-on-one -on -one sessions as well, but it's it's the process by which hopefully the truth gets out there. Hopefully it's I don't want to say starting at a clean slate, but just getting all the garbage out there, all the truths out there. And then you can it's, either you can either start over or you can call it a day. But it's the process by which everything gets put out on the table. It's kind of like when you clean out a closet, right? You got to pull everything out before you can decide yeah. what to keep and how to put it yeah. away, what to do with it. Um, 
And sometimes like with cleaning out a closet, there's so much that's hidden under the surface. Oh yeah. Some of the questions right. I've heard where it's like, you know, when we met when I was 18 and you were 20, you told me, you know, you canceled our second date because you said you were sick. But the next day I saw you and you were fine. Were you really sick that day? What happened? And it's like, this has nothing to do with pornography. This woman has just always wanted to know if this guy was giving a bullshit excuse on date two. And this is her opportunity to get that out there, find out what really happened. And these these questions are so far reaching. It's I, I don't, I don't want to say it's fascinating to sit there, but it's interesting what some people want to ask and want to find out that has been sitting inside of them for sometimes decades. And I wonder if there might be for some of these people, if it's like, oh, was that the first red flag that I missed? Yeah, they exactly. That's what they're looking for is, should I have seen something earlier? And what have you really done? How mad do I need to be at you? How how much lying did you really do? It, it's almost, you know, it, it's almost a gauge for a lot of people to figure out what to do next. Like, has there been so much betrayal that we can't come back from it? Right, right. And some people, and... some people have that. Some people, some people find out that their their spouse or their partner is looking at porn. They're out the door that day. And then there are some couples who work through it for years and are successful or call it quits. Um, just depends what you want to try to do if you want to try to salvage the relationship. And each couple's journey and decisions are their own, right? I mean, right. we so all have unique, one another. Yeah. you know, interesting relationships. So the last thing that I want to ask you before we end is this. Because pornography is so easily accessible in all kinds of places, what should we be telling our kids, our young people, about porn in general? I think that the first thing that we have to recognize is the don't use pornography speech for children it is not the birds and the bees speech. It is more closely aligned with the don't drink alcohol speech, don't smoke cigarette speech. Yes, it sucks that we now have to talk about pornography in this day and age, but that's where we are. And I think that you can make it very age appropriate. I don't think there's any problem with telling a four or five-year-old, hey, you don't ever let anybody see what's under your clothes and you don't ever go look at what's under somebody else's clothes. And then you don't ever let anybody take a picture of you in your underwear or or with without any clothes on. And you don't go and look for people with the, on, take pictures of people that way. When they get into school, you just you may have some friends who on their phone or on their yes. tablet, you might see pictures of naked people. That's not good for kids to see. That's really for adults. When you're older, you can decide. But right now, if if you see a friend who has naked people on their phone, please let me know so I can make sure that you're safe. Well, and I think you can make that age appropriate and not scare the heck out of kids and not have to describe, you know, very graphic details of what they'll find in pornography. Right. And, you know, my, my son, if he ever hears this, might kill me for saying this, but I believe he was in fourth or fifth grade and a classmate had a phone with porn on it. And he came home and told me, which I think that speaks volumes to me about our relationship, that he yeah, felt like he great. could say something. And the conversation that I had with him in part was like, sex can be great. Like, that's not like sex isn't a bad thing, but what you're seeing, that's not what it's really like. And I don't want you to think that that's what sex is. And so like... You know, you're not going to experience that for a while because you're 10, or at least I hope, you know, he wouldn't. But, um, you know, I like, I want you to understand this isn't reality. And so just like, you know, Marvel, that's not reality. It's all, right. you know, smoke and mirrors and, you know, special effects. Like it's, it's entertainment and not right. reality. And I don't know how much that point got across to him, 
But for me, it was important to have that conversation, not you're so bad for looking at that. Right. No, like you're not bad for looking at porn, but porn isn't going to do for you what you think it is long term. Right. And for some people, it is unhealthy. It can be unhealthy for some people. Some people can get addicted. You know, uh, really scary statistic. Um, back when you and I were younger, 20-year-old men suffered erectile dysfunction at rates of 2 to 4%. These days, men who are 20 are suffering erectile dysfunction rates of 20 to 25%. Oh, so what I'm hearing is that Men, if you watch a lot of porn, you're not going to be able to please the woman you're with. Exactly. <laughs> is that is that terrible yes. to say it that way? Yes. But like, no, no, that's 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 perfect. But I think that if you told every eighth grade boy about porn-induced erectile dysfunction, if you said you use too much of this stuff, it can literally break your penis. I think a lot of these thirteen-year-old boys who are not porn addicts yet who It'd really like, just mm. want a girlfriend might be like, oh, okay, if that could happen, I'm not, not worth gonna, it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna touch this stuff or I'm barely going to touch this stuff. I that think is... that's, that's straightforward and that would do huge numbers to bring down our statistics. That number is wild to me. I mean, truly like that's, that is a shocking number. And again, it's, my... it's because you get a dopamine hit every time you see something new in pornography. But take your partner, for instance. You've seen your partner naked hundreds, if not thousands of times. You've had sex with your partner hundreds, if not thousands of times. You know how that movie ends and you can't get excited for that movie anymore. Yeah, that... That really makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That I had never even thought of it that way. So how we leave it. I like that as a place to end. <laughs> I think it's funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it's but it kind of, you know, it's it is, I guess, ironic in that, right? Like you are using something to enhance your sexual prowess and life and feel good. And in the meantime, it means that you can't actually do that with a partner right? and please a partner that has the potential to be something so much more than just Absolutely. Absolutely. a sexual experience. You can't get the dopamine anymore because you've burned out your dopamine receptors and the other chemical receptors and your partner is just not going to be able to give you the high to get those chemicals flowing the way that new and often exotic or extreme pornography does. So pornography, especially pornography addiction, impacts your physical health, your mental health, and your relationship health. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, I mean, I guess at the core, it's just consider how much you're using pornography. And if it's getting in the way or you feel like you can't stop, go get help. If Just you, like you would. If you question if you have a pornography addiction or pornography problem. You probably do. You probably do because you don't ask yourself, gee, do I have a vacuuming addiction? Do I have a washing the dishes addiction? No, you right. know you don't have those. But if you're asking yourself if you have a porn addiction, there may be something there. Just like if you're asking yourself if you have a drinking problem or if yeah. you're, you know, if you have an alcohol like you're using too much alcohol, right? Like there's, so yeah, this is interesting. That that statistic of the two to 4% to the 20, 25%, that's, man, that is just a wild number to me. Like yeah. the increase, because that's- our, our little lizard brains cannot evolve at the rate that technology evolves. The reality oh, right. is my- great-grandfather or maybe even my grandfather i probably saw more pornography in one day than they saw in their lifetime and then right. the next day i did it again and then the next day i did it again and then the next day i did it again so i mean it's possible that you watched more 
or you saw more pornography than every man did from 1700 to 1799. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I know that seems (laughs) excessive, but it probably isn't all that Because what did they have? Paintings? Right. And so, and like you said that, but I remember being in um, Pompeii and there being sexually explicit paintings on the wall. So I think it it's possible that we could say pornography on some level is hundreds, if not thousands of years old on some level. You can go into, you go to Mesopotamia and go into the caves and see depictions of sexuality. As long as we've been able to write on walls, we've been curious about this stuff. Go to any great fine art museum, go to the you know yeah. Egyptian and medieval stuff. Look at the some of the pottery. There's some pretty X-rated stuff on there. You know the the Kama Sutra, which is still considered the biggest, you know, the best sex guide out there, was created by the super conservative Indian culture hundreds of years ago. It's as long as as long as people have been curious about sex and and, and having sex, they've been curious about depictions and for. You know, a 13, 14, 15-year-old going through puberty, that's absolutely natural to be curious about the depiction of sexuality. And sexuality is a great thing. You wouldn't be here without it. I wouldn't be here without it. We experienced it on our own. We know how great it can be. But for that 14-year-old kid who is just flooding himself with what Hollywood or what somebody in belarus is putting together for right. pornography and putting out on the internet that's what they're start that's what they think it is now and and we are quickly becoming a sexually ill society uh, so with that i feel like we could talk forever about all the the things but um Joshua, thank you so much for being here and sharing about this that i think often we don't think about the impact of of this, especially on our children. And hey, if you're in your 20s and you're a man, remember that this is like potentially getting in the way of actually having right. intercourse with a real live human being, right. Um, right. not just and by yourself with a screen. And it's important to note that, like I said, you said at the beginning, it doesn't discriminate based on your gender, based on your race, based on your religion, based on your age. I have seen people at every level. And if you think, if you look at porn and you feel like you're on the outskirts of what's common or normal, recent statistics showed 91.5% of men who use the internet look at pornography at least once a month. 60.2% of women who use the internet look at pornography at least once a month. Doesn't mean they're addicted, but does mean they use the stuff. You are far less common if you don't look at porn once a month on the internet, at least. Um, For women or men. Yeah, so that is, again, a shocking statistic. Because like, I'm over here, like, so if you like average that out, then you know what, like 75% of people are looking at porn on a daily or a monthly basis. And it's probably more than, yeah, you know, on average, minimum is once a month. Um, Yeah, but we still act like it's a puritanical society. We still pretend that, you know, oh, God, I don't look at that. I would never touch myself. No, no, not, not, I don't even, I don't even, what is this pornography thing you speak of? Because we've all been raised to be shamed about it. So you're not alone if you watch pornography. And if you feel like you have a problem, you're also not alone. Absolutely. And I could, I could coach 24-7 if I wanted. And and your website is paddictrecovery.com. Yep. So if you think maybe you might have a problem or want more information, that is a great place to start to get additional information, to find, you know, information about your books that you've written, um, find some of your TED Talks and things like that, other places that you've spoken. Um, 
And I will link a lot of that as well in the show notes so that you can find that as well if you're listening and know where to look. Um, So Joshua, again, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate your wisdom and insight. Thank you for inviting me, Amanda. I appreciate it. And so with that, we have reached the end of today's episode. Thank you for listening and learning about more about how mental health and society meet. Now go out and open up a conversation and discover how mental health is experienced in your world. You can find more episodes of The Mental Society in all the places you find your favorite podcasts. Please subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. You can find additional resources on our website, thementalsociety.com. And remember that you are not alone in your struggles, that hope and help are all around you. And until next time, this is Amanda Dolan, wishing you good health, mental and otherwise.